Hallelujah. But let us um, let us stand for the reading of the word. We're going to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. It's also great to have Sister Rose here from Chile, Chile. Um, so used to attend here when she was studying in uh, Sydney and also in Brisbane. But uh, great to have her back, I guess, for your wedding. Is that right? Yep. So welcome. If we go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and starting at verse 8, it says, the word of God says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. Say obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went or where he was going. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. That's tents. Tents is a tabernacle. This place used to be called Grace Tabernacle. It just means the grace tent. But uh, he removed the pegs and he put in foundations and made it a, a building. With Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked... That's Abraham. He looked for a city which hath foundations. So he was dwelling in tents, but he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word this morning, Lord. We pray for Pastor Stan as he's in Timor, Lord. Be with him. Give him safe travel. Use him mightily where he is. We pray for the services in Parramatta as well. Move in a mighty way there. And Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord, for this word that you help me to deliver it in, uh, with anointing, Lord, and with passion. And help our hearts to be open to your word this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. High five your neighbor as you go down. And give the Lord a hand. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Praise God. So Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees. That's right around where Basra is in modern-day Iraq. And then he went to Haran. And Haran's kind of in northern Iraq, sort of northern Syria, sort of where ISIS has been uh, causing trouble lately. And he left his home for an unknown land many days' journey away. God only gave him part of the directions. I remember when I was in the before I was born again, before I became a Christian, I used to go to rave parties. And uh, we used to get these flyers and you'd buy the ticket from Central Station Records in the city and, and then uh, and you'd get this flyer to have a 0055 number. Does anyone remember 0055 numbers? They'd usually say, well, you know, you used to have to pay so much money per minute for them and stuff. But you'd have to ring this 0055 number to find out where the rave was. It was usually in some warehouse in Waterloo or Alexandria that somebody had got the keys for or broken into. I remember one time we had a, there was a rave in White, you know, White Bay, the container terminals, the wheat silos as you go over the Anzac Bridge. They had a rave in there. I don't know how they got the keys or who broke in, but there was a rave in there. But you didn't know where it was until the night, until the night of the, the party, and you'd have to ring this number and you'd be driving through the bush sometimes trying to find some lights in the middle of some farm. But Abraham, he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where they were leading him, where God was leading him. But he just had to take a step. He had to trust God on this adventure. But at the same time, he had to move into the great unknown. God was about to take Abraham on this great adventure. But Abraham needed to take a step of faith. He had to take a step of faith. He needed to obey the voice of God. You need faith to obey someone's voice. You need to trust that person. Or you need to trust that someone if you're going to obey their voice. And God told Abraham in the book of Genesis chapter 12 verse 1, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country. And from thy kindred, that's from his family. And from thy father's house, from his father's family. He had to get away from him. Keep that in mind. Unto a land that I will show you. 
and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is kind of a reversal of the curses that were put upon Adam and Eve in the garden, a little bit of a, a reversal of that. And then in verse 4 it says, So Abram departed. Good, that's good. Abram did what he was told. God had told him to depart, and so Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Lot went with him. Now Lot was his nephew. Not was a, Lot was part of his father's house. And yet the Lord had commanded him to leave his father's house. But for some reason he took Lot. And it's interesting that the, the narrator here, the author of Genesis, throws that in there. Not just for no reason. He's telling us that for a good reason. Because he t Abram took Lot with him even though he was told to leave his father's house behind. And then we see later in the story that Lot causes all, co all kinds of problems for Abram. Yeah, Abram's always trying to get him out of trouble. It's always a problem for Abram, Lot. Lot becomes a pain in the neck for him. If only he'd been fully obedient, that wouldn't have been the case. And then we see later on in the story, Abram and Sarah are promised that they will have a child in their old age. They're promised by God that they will have a child in their old age. But instead of acting on that promise, what did they need to do for that promise to be fulfilled? Instead of consummating that promise, in Genesis 18, 12, it says, Sarah says, how am I going to have pleasure in my old age and my husband also? That was the thing stopping them. The strange thing was, though, that Sarah had no doubt that her husband could father a child with her Egyptian handmaiden. For some reason, she had a problem with her being part of that. But she had no problem with her husband and her handmaiden causing that to happen. Sarah did not want to pursue that promise. She didn't have faith to step forward and act on that promise. In Genesis 16, 2, it says, And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. God had just promised that she would have a child. But here she's contradicting the promise of God with her own lips, with her own words and saying, Oh, God, stop me from having a baby. God's told you you're going to have one. And she's going, No, God, stop me. He doesn't want to give me one. You ever been like that? Where you've thought, well, God doesn't want to give me something. God hates me. <laughs> he doesn't really love me. He doesn't really like me. He doesn't want to do that for me. I'm not worthy. Blah, blah, blah. And the list of excuses go on. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, and it may be that I may obtain children by her. Sarah has her own plan. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Instead of the voice of God, Abram listened to the voice of his wife, of another human being, of another person. Instead of the voice of God, he listened to the voice of man, of humanity. Abram listened to the voice of his wife, just like Adam had hearkened to the voice of Eve in Genesis 3. It's a mirror. It's the same thing happening over again. That Abram and Sarah decided to do what was right in their own eyes. God, you've given us a plan. I've got a better one. God, I like your plan, but hey, I don't think it'll work that way. I think I'll come up with something better. How about I tell you, God, how it's going to work? How about I tell you what's good and evil? How about I don't listen to you, God, and you don't decide for me what's good and evil. I'll decide for myself. The fall of man was because Adam and Eve decided for themselves what was good 
and what was evil, what was right and what was wrong. Once we begin to define for ourselves what is good and evil, we conveniently begin to stack the cards in our favour. We start to make sure that what we decide is good and bad starts to work out for our own good and starts to work out for our own benefit. You know, so many things that we hold in modern society as, as sort of uh, benefits of living in Western civilization. Like if you were a, if you were born, let's say three or four thousand years ago, you know, put yourself maybe in the time of Abraham. Even it's very likely that you were a poor person. Ninety-nine percent chance. You know, these people they always go, oh, you know, the reincarnationist. Oh, in my previous life I was a princess, or in my previous life I was a pharaoh, and. No, more than likely if you were reincarnated, not that anybody is, but the chances would be I was a slave to someone and I would work 12 hours a day until my hands bled in a f on a farm for someone else's benefit. That would more than likely be your lot if you were living at the time of Abraham. You were a slave more than likely to somebody else or some kind of pauper, some kind of poor working person. And the king of the country that you were living in would have declared himself to be the image of God. And that, that king, everything they said you were to obey and that they ruled because they were appointed by God to rule. I'm not talking about Israel. We'll get there. I'm talking about the nations that were around before Israel even started. Pharaoh, he was an image of a god. The kings of Assyria and places in Samaria, they were images, visual representations of some kind of false god. And so they were therefore, in their mind, ruling by divine right. There was no democracy. There was no human rights. There was no equality. You didn't have rights as a slave or as some farmer. You didn't have the rights that somebody in the upper echelon, somebody part of the royal household had. You didn't have the same rights. Someone said you were guilty. There was no trial by jury. That came later. There was no two or three witnesses. Someone said you did something. Probably five minutes later, you were executed. If they chose to kill you, you were dead. Your life was hard. You wouldn't live very long. You didn't have much to eat. It was a tough, hard life. These things that we enjoy in Western civilization, in modern society, in this 21st century, in Australia, for instance, we enjoy things like human rights. And we go on about human rights and it's a great thing to have rights as a human being. To be able to, you know, walk around and no one's trying to kill you for no reason. To have a welfare system. Now, I know some people would prefer to pay less tax and have no welfare system. But it's a good thing that if you were to fall on hard times, you're not just going to be starving and have nothing to eat. The government actually gives you some money. Whether that's a good or bad thing, I don't know. We'll... That's an argument for another time. But we're blessed to live in a country that if you do fall upon hard times, more than likely not going to starve to death. There's a system there, there's a safety net there that's able to look after you. And social equality. This idea that every person is of equal worth. No matter who they were born to, no matter what their race, no matter who they are in society, that everybody is of equal worth. These principles, these ethoses, they all come from the word of God. These are biblical concepts. They did not exist before the Bible was written. No other society had these things. They didn't have human rights in ancient Egypt and ancient Assyria. They didn't have a welfare system. 
But you know what the law introduced? The law of Moses introduced, if you're harvesting your field, leave the corners for those that are a refugee from another land, for those that are widows, for those that are poor or orphaned. You have to leave the edges of your field so they have something to eat. They had a welfare system. They had this idea that the king, well, for a start, they weren't even meant to have a king. They were meant to have God as their king when Israel was set up. God was meant to be their king. But because they wanted to be like everybody else, they cried out for a king so that they could be like all their neighbours. And say, God, in his grace, gave them a king, gave them King Saul. And funnily enough, if you look in the law of Moses, which was written way before, there's laws in there that what the king should do and how the king should live. So God knew they were going to get a king even though he didn't want them to have a king. And God set up these laws. And the laws for a king said he should not amass wealth unto himself. Like he shouldn't be this, you know, big, powerful, rich guy for no reason. Like just hoarding all this stuff to himself. That basically he was to be a biblical scholar. He was to be a Bible nerd. That was, his, that was what the king of Israel was supposed to be. Not some image of God that everybody was supposed to just, you know, give all their stuff to. And, you know, he was meant to be an example of what it was to live by the law of God. And yet every other country around them was completely different. At the time that the Bible came out, at the time that the law was given to Israel, when they set up the nation of Israel, it would have been revolutionary. We look at the law and we think, oh, wow, that's really hard and tough and things like that, all these rules and stuff like that. But the way that the society was set up under the law of Moses would have been absolutely revolutionary. The ethics that it brought in would have been so different to everything else around it. Every other nation around it would have been completely different, so unlike any other country. But to us, it's completely buried because our society is built on those ethics. And we seem to forget, as postmodern, you know, 21st century people, that all the things we enjoy, all these benefits that we enjoy in modern society, are because of the Word of God. Are because of the Word of God. Man doesn't come up with these things. If you just let... History shows us that that's not the case. History shows us if you let man to himself... You know what people are? Greedy, bullies, they'll take advantage of people. That's how humanity works. And it's interesting because we've separated in modern times the principles from, religi- from the religious concepts. We want all these things. We live in society today, this postmodern Western society. We want to highlight equality and justice for all. And that's great. Good. Praise God. They are biblical concepts. But in our modern society, we're trying, I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about society, is trying to separate it from its religious narrative, from the religious story that this originated from. It's trying to separate equality and justice for all from the actual religious origin that made it possible, that made it reasonable, that made it make sense in society. And so what we end up with is this contradiction where society wants the benefits of these biblical principles but doesn't want to adhere to the Bible it comes from. That's the problem of the society that we live in today. Our Western society wants to live by these Judeo or Jewish Christian ideals but separate themselves from any of the Judeo-Christian heritage. It remains to be seen whether society can actually sustain this. Because if you don't have those religious principles, they're the things that are keeping those principles alive. If you start to erode those religious principles, those ideals have no framework. There's nothing to support them anymore. And it all starts to fall apart. Because there's nothing in our nature, in human nature, If you look around at humanity in history, there's nothing in history that shows that human kingdoms without God 
and societies without God will naturally seek equality and justice. It's just not true. Some big bully will take over and go, I'm the king, you're listening to me, and I've got all these guys that will chop your head off if you don't listen to me. That's the way societies work without God. And yet, we seem to lie ourselves to them. We've got people sort of fighting the very religion that gave them the, the principles that they enjoyed, that gave them the ethics that they enjoyed, these rights that they enjoyed. And we, we want ever even expect God to honour his promises to us. We thank God for his promises. Who's thankful to God for his promises this morning? Amen. We expect and we want God to honour his promises to us. But oftentimes we ignore the conditions of his promises. In other words, we want the harvest, but we don't want to do any work. We want the harvest, but we don't want to plough. We want the harvest, but we don't want to plant any seed. We want the harvest, but we don't want to actually get out there and reap. If you do what is easy, life will be harder. If you do what is hard, life will be easier. Simple principle. But we need... We cannot ignore the conditions of his promises. For example, in Psalm 37 verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we think, yes, he's going to give us the desires of our heart. But we forget the first bit. I'm a Christian. He's going to give me the desires of my heart. Yes, I'm going to get that Bugatti Veyron. It's a really, really fast car if you don't know what it is. And then get busted by the police and go to jail. But you need to delight yourself in the Lord before he gives you the desires of your heart. God promises to give us the desires of our heart, but they're conditional on us delighting, delighting ourselves in him, living for him. Our desires then will not be contrary to his word because we're delighting ourselves in him. It will change our desires. It will change what our heart wants if we're delighting ourselves in the Lord, if our heart is right. Amen? Our desires should not be contrary to God's word, will or character. Knowing God's word and character requires that we have a close and personal relationship with him. You need to have a relationship with God. I want you to think about your relationship with him this morning. Think about where you're at. You know, so often we, we drift away from God. If you've got a relationship with someone, what do you usually do with that person? Talk to them. Someone's your friend and you haven't talked to them for 10 years. Probably not the closest friend. <laughs> What's your name again? <laughs> you need to be in conversation with that person. You need to have interaction with that person. You need to know what they're thinking. They need to know what you're thinking. If you had a relationship, if you're married and you don't talk to your wife for a week... It's a big problem. Sometimes we don't talk to God for months. You need a relationship with Him. Amen? You need to seek His face. Not just seek His hand when everything's going wrong. Or you're going for that job interview. Oh, I know God, I haven't talked to Him for six months. But hey, I need this job. Get the job. Thanks, God. I'll see you again in a year. We need to have a relationship with him, relate to him. Throughout the scripture, God makes promises. He's just a few of them. He will be with us in Matthew 28, 20. He says, he will be with you. In Proverbs 18, 10, it says, he will protect us. He will protect you. He will give us strength in Isaiah 40, 29. In 1 John 1, 9, he says that he will forgive us. 
In Philippians 4.19, he will provide for you. In John 14.27, he will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. Romans 5.8 says, he will always love you. He will always love you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God's promises and blessings are not ours to enjoy regardless of how we choose to live. We can't just expect those promises and live any way we want. We need to die to ourselves, embrace and reflect his character. God is a promise keeper. He's not a promise breaker. But we need to pursue him and get to know him intimately so that we can then stand on his promises with faith. There's a responsibility on us to step out by faith in the promises of God. In Numbers chapter 13, we see the Israelites are on the doorstep of their promise. They've been, they'd just escaped Egypt, they'd travelled through the wilderness and they got to the promised land. Here was their promised land, the land that Abraham had previously been promised and entered into. They were returning unto there. And they get to the edge of this promise. And yet, they seem to think that it was just going to be empty land, that no one would be there, that all these big giant bunches of grapes, no one's eating those. This, this land of milk and honey, that there's no one milking the cows and no one getting the hives. No, the land was inhabited. This promised land was inhabited. And not just inhabited, but it was inhabited with giants, with big guys. They weren't just going to walk off and leave it. Yeah, Israelites, you can have it. Have it, we'll find somewhere else. You can, you can have it. No, they were going to fight. <laughs> it was going to take a battle. It was going to take wars to move them. It would be a fight. And these people were much physically larger. The Israelites had to enter in and believe in God for that promise, despite the presence of giants. Yet they chose to believe the false report, the report of the ten spies instead of the two, and they did not enter in to that promise. But when the Israelites finally do enter, they cross in over the Jordan. They lay some stones on the other side with 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. They lay an altar and they enter in. And you think, great, they're in the promised land. The end. Let's close the book. Everyone lives happily ever after. They've made it into the promised land. Hallelujah. No. <laughs> it's just the beginning. It's like when we start our walk with God. After we're born again, it's just the beginning. Like I always say, the day I got the Holy Ghost, I was filled with the Holy Ghost in a flat in Lakemba. And uh, a week later, I was baptised in that corner there. The baptismal was around the other way. And when I came out of those waters of baptism, I thought, cool, man, life's just sweet. This is it. The birds are shiny. Flowers are blooming. My life is just going to be sweet from here on in, man. It's going to be just peaches and cream. No problems. No worries. Just God's with me. Yes. Awesome, man. Walking on sunshine. And how wrong I was one week later. You see, when the, the Israelites moved into the promised land, they had to fight the Battle of Jericho first. We know that, the wall's falling down, Rahab, blah, blah. They had to fight the Battle of Jericho. Then they had the first Battle of Ai. Why was there a first Battle of Ai? Because they lost. Why'd they lose? Because someone was disobedient. Achan kept some of the spoil. And so then they had a second Battle of Ai and finally took Bethel. Then they had the Battle of Gibeon against the Amorite Confederacy. They won that. The Battle of Machedah, the Battle of Libna, the first battle of Lachish, the second battle of Lachish in Giza, the battle of Eglon, the battle of Hebron, the battle of Debir, 
the battle of the waters of Meron against the northern confederation of Canaanites, the battle of Hazor, and then even later, much later, during David's time, they finally took Jerusalem with the siege of Jerusalem and took it from the Amorites. They were promised the land, but they had to fight for the promise. They had to fight for the promise. Are you willing to fight for your promise this morning? Are you willing to fight for your promise this morning? They had to trust that God would give them the victory so long as they were obedient. So long as they weren't doing what Achan was doing. So long as they were obedient to the word of God. Walk around Jericho, keep walking, then blow the trumpets. They had to be obedient. Plenty of times we need to fight for the promise. But understand that if we are faithful to him, he will be faithful to us and give us the victory. Amen? He will give us the victory if we're faithful to him. Who believes that this morning? Do you believe that he will be faithful to you? And give you the victory if you're faithful to him. Praise God. There's two types of faith. There's passive faith. Passive faith is just like the faith you, that you have where you do nothing. Passive faith is like, I know the sun's going to come up in the morning. Passive faith is, my heart will be, I don't have to think about it. <laughs> passive faith is also that you know that God's plans for you are good. You confident in that you don't have to think about that too much but then there's active faith that's the true faith amen active faith requires action on our behalf that's why it's active faith in james 2 17 and brother greg just uh, spoke about this earlier even so faith if it has not works is dead being alone the common english bible version says in the same way faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity there needs to be action as a result of your faith the message translation i like this one verse 14 to 17 says dear friends do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything i know all the right words all the right christian things to say but you don't actually do anything you know, you get that. I work in the public service. I guess you get it in any management where you get people that say a lot and they don't actually do a lot. <laughs> but uh, I'll try not to be that. <laughs> Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? We need to put legs and hands to our faith. Amen? Amen. In the Amplified it says, so too faith if it does not have works to back it up, is by itself dead, inoperative and ineffective. Faith without works is dead. Faith needs action to back it up. Otherwise, it has no substance and is ineffective. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. He had the promise of salvation, but he had to be obedient to God to receive the promise. He couldn't just build the ark the way he wanted to do it. God, I know your plans. You know, you want to go for wood here. But you know what? I'm going to go for the, uh, the uh, balsa wood. Uh, that's a better wood, I think. Uh, it's easier to get. So I'll get that instead of the goat. No, he had to do it the way God had instructed him to do it. Otherwise, that ark is sinking. That's going nowhere. He was obedient to the plan of God. He was obedient to the promise uh, he was obedient to the plan of god so that he could receive the promise even though noah had already received grace he had to work he had to build the ark it wasn't his building of the ark that got him saved 
Who saved him? God saved him. He couldn't turn around and go, oh, I saved myself because I built this massive big boat. No, it was by God's grace he was saved. He had found grace in the eyes of God, but he still had to put action on his faith in God's grace. God had given him a way of escape, but if God, Noah had not built the ark to the dimensions that God had given and with the instructions that God had given, then he wouldn't have been able to make that escape. Grace is a free gift, but it does not absolve us of responsibility. Grace is a free gift, but it doesn't mean we just sit back and do whatever we want. Just sit, oh, I'm saved by grace. Go sit in front of the TV, eat potato chips for the rest of my life, eat ice cream, don't do anything. Just live however I want to live. No, that's not how it is. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith. Through faith. How do you walk? Let's look at grace like it's a room. How do you get to grace? You've got to walk through the door of faith. That's how you get into grace. You've got to walk through the door of faith. And faith without what is dead works. There's responsibility on your part. If it was just grace alone and nothing else and there's no faith, then the Satanist is saved. Because it's just grace. You don't have to do anything. It's fine. It's done. Finished. No. There's responsibility on our part. Although our works cannot save you. Works cannot save you. It doesn't matter what you do. It can't save you. Whatever you do is not going to save you. Your righteousness is but filthy, dirty rags. And if you look at the real meaning of that, it's even worse. But our own works cannot save us. But we cannot be saved unless we work. I know that sounds like a contradiction, but our works cannot save us. But unless we work, we will not be saved. Unless we do something, unless we put action on our faith, we will not be saved. Philippians 2.12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's responsibility on our part to obtain the grace of God through faith. Jesus went to the cross for the promise. He was obedient unto death. He exemplified active faith, faith in action. He needed to trust in the purpose set before him, not think that he was just going to the cross for no reason. But there was a promise. There was a reason. And after Jesus ascended, he told his disciples to wait at Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Remember, a lot of his disciples were Galileans, so they were away from home. And they'd, some of them had been away from home for a long time. And he's asking them to stay in Jerusalem for no specified time. He just said, wait until the promise comes. Wait until the promise comes. They had to do something in order to receive the promise. They had to be obedient to the words of Jesus for themselves to receive the promise. And when they were in Jerusalem there for 10 days, they didn't just sit around watching Netflix and chilling. They prayed. They prayed and they were in unity. They had unity together and they sought God with one mind and one accord. Action was required on their part to receive the promise, the promise that Jesus had told them they would get. And then the sun rose on the day of Pentecost. Shavel. The promise came with the sound of a rushing, mighty wind. And it filled all the room where they were praying and sitting. The promise came with tongues like as of fire. You too can come to this altar this morning. And if you wait a little while on God and you pray to God and seek God and worship God and give God your heart, repent of your sins, believe on Him, God will fill you with His Holy Spirit here this morning. If you just pray a little while here, just lift up your voice to God. That's what happened with me in that flat in Lakemba. They asked me, you know, I walked into that flat. I remember it like yesterday. 
I was wearing these ugly as tracksuit pants. I don't know. They weren't my tracksuit pants. I don't know. Like, you know, teenage boys, they wear half the clothes they wear is somebody else's clothes. Some mate's house they slept at. And so I had these ugly as tracksuit pants that were like grey with like, I don't know, it was supposed to be camouflage or something. It just looked like they were stains. And so the whole time I'm in that room, I'm thinking, man, I'm wearing these stupid tracksuit pants. <laughs> and I'm so self-conscious about these tracksuit pants. And I see Brother Jacob Caltabiano, who's now the pastor of Gold Coast Church. I see him praying and crying. And I'm thinking, man, what did he do? <laughs> did he kill someone? <laughs> And I felt the presence of God in there so strong, so thick, that I wanted to run. I wanted to get out of that place. And just before that, I'd received a Bible study on being born again. And I'd been going to church when I was little, when I was young. You know, I'd go to youth group up until I was about 14. I went to a youth group. I never heard any of this stuff. I thank God for the youth group I went to. It was good. It gave me some foundation. It gave me an understanding who God is, but I'd never heard any of this. It was, I was like, man, that's so plain as day. Why didn't anyone tell me this before? And then I went to this cell group on a Saturday night. And as I said, the presence of God was so thick. And the, the person that was teaching was teaching a powerful message about rejection and saying how so many things that we do is because we fear rejection. We want to be accepted. And at the time, you know, I remember going to, with my mate to Grace Brothers. Does anyone know where Grace Brothers is today? It's called Maya. <laughs> so I went into Grace Brothers in the city and uh, I was in there with my mate. And I used to steal things, but I was no big thief. Like, I went to the, like, local milk bar and, you know, put the ice cream up my sleeve, you know. I remember my mate putting, like, a two-litre Coke in his, like, baggy jeans you know and trying to walk like this so that it wouldn't fall <laughs> like we were fairly low level uh, criminals you know um or no gangsters or anything and then my mate's going into grace brothers and he's he's racking all the clothes and he's going grab that grab that and i'm sweating bullets i'm going man i don't want to go to jail <laughs> and he's grabbing all these things this is when they had color tags anyone remember color tags you just have to go into the canals and smack the colour tag off. And you want just a little bit of that ink to go on the clothes so that people knew you racked it. <laughs> just enough on that country road polo shirt, just to, on that Nordica top, just to know, yeah, he racked that thing. Yeah, he's a gangster. Anyway, I couldn't steal anything in Grace Brothers. I was, I was dying. My mate's going, what's wrong with you, man? Just take the thing, man. No one's going to get you. And I was, I was packing it. <laughs> I, was, I was so scared. And then, um, I, you know, that, that was my level of sin, you know. And I did that because I feared rejection. I wanted to belong. I wanted somebody to be able to say to me, yeah, man, you're cool, man. You're part of us. I wanted to belong in the group. Nobody wants to just be like an outsider and alone. People, it's unnatural. We're communal beings we like to be in the presence of other human beings we like to feel accepted and loved by others we don't want to feel rejected and so here i was doing all these things trying to be accepted trying to be loved trying to feel a part of something and the only thing and the message came across that the only thing that could fill that need was the love of god was the love of God. That I didn't need to fear rejection because God will never reject us. Amen. He loves us with an everlasting love. He loves us no matter who we are, where we're from, where we've come from, what we've done. He loves us. And He wants to be with us. Amen. He wants to have communion with us. You can come to this altar this morning. You can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, just like they did on, the, on that day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. You can step out into the unknown, just like Abraham did, to receive your promise.
it's, it's, it's scary. It would have been scary for Abraham to take that journey, to start to take that journey. Just imagine somebody telling you, can you just leave your home and uh, you're going to move. I'll tell you when you get there. You've got all your things set up at home. You've got all your life set up. No, get, go and leave to a land that I've promised you. And that's how it is when we come to God. Amen. We're going to have to leave things behind. Just like my brother preached this morning, we're going to have to leave the legion behind. All those things that are going to try to pull us back. All the things that are trying to hold us back from serving God and for living for God. We need to let that go. Not allow it to pull us back any further. We need to pursue the promise that God has for us. This walk with God can be scary sometimes. It can be a scary prospect. It's a little bit, you know, what's next? What's going to happen? Am I going to fail? Am I gonna, is, it all just gonna, is it all just for nothing? But it's the beginning of a great adventure. It will have its ups. And I promise it will have its downs. But the journey will be with the one who speaks closer than a brother and has a final destination like no other. Amen? Abraham, he'd failed when he took Lot with him. He failed when he and Sarah tried to do or tried to obtain God's promise their own way. Tried to do things their own way. But in Hebrews eleven seventeen it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and that he had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. Abraham, after being disobedient, time after time, after failing the test, after test, he finally passed the test. He obtained the promise because he made sacrifice. He was willing to sacrifice. After Abraham passes the test where he took Isaac and he put him upon that altar and was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son. Yes, he had a son to Hagar, Ishmael, but this was the child of promise, the only son he had to Sarah. He was willing to sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice all your doubts? All the things that you want to hold on to in this life that are stopping you from living for God. Are you willing to sacrifice that for the promise of God? For the promise that God has for you? If we could all be upstanding. After Abraham passes this test, it releases blessings, not just for him, but for the whole world. In Genesis 22, 18, after God stills his hand, stops his hand, and the ram is in the thicket, and God provides the sacrifice in place of his son, in place of Isaac. Abraham passes the test, and God says to him, In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. This was Abraham's test, just like Adam and Eve were tested in the garden. Because now... Abraham listened to the voice of God instead of the voice of somebody else like Adam did, like he did earlier. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Finally, someone had obeyed God and despite all his failures, Abraham was still counted as a man of faith in Hebrews 11. The just have always lived by faith. Abraham didn't have his hope in a land where he lived in tents, but he had his hope in a city whose builder and maker was God. If we have faith, we must seek him. Faith requires movement. If you have faith this morning, you need to allow it to make you move. If you need to have salvation, if you have faith that Jesus is the son of the living God, that Jesus wants to give you eternal life, that needs to make you move to this altar and so that you can lift up your hands, lift up your voice, and as you repent of your sins, believe on him 
God will fill you with His Spirit and you'll begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God will give you utterance. You'll lift up your hands. You need to lift up your voice. And as we pray for you, as someone prays for you, within minutes, God can fill you with His Spirit and you'll begin to speak in other tongues. We must, to pursue the promise, we must obey God. Amen? We need to know the promises of God. Acknowledge that there's barriers. Yep, there are giants in the land. Yep, I'm aware of the circumstances. But in spite of those obstacles, say, I will pursue that promise. I will trust in God's ability. I will trust in the sufficiency of His grace. And I will triumph in the strength, in the strength that He gives. Will you obey Him this morning and receive your promises? God promised you something but you haven't fought for that promise yet you haven't stepped out by faith to receive that promise maybe you can see God working in your life and he wants to open that door he wants to open that door of blessing but you need to step out you need to take a step of faith there's action required on your part just like brother Sam preached earlier about the demoniac the the man at Gadarenes who was filled with a legion of demons, he bowed before Jesus. He came to Jesus. He didn't hide in the graves, but he came and fell before the feet of Jesus. He took responsibility. Despite the fact he had a legion of demons, he took responsibility. He acted in faith. He took a step of faith and he was set free because of that. Amen. You can be set free this morning. If you've got an addiction, if you've got some problem that you're dealing with, if there's something that you need God's help for, step out by faith this morning. This altar is open. Come and receive your promise. you can receive the promise of your sins being washed away in the waters of baptism. If you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, we can baptize you this morning. Whether you receive the Holy Ghost or not, we can baptize you in these waters as long as you want to give your life to God and want to live for Him. You can be baptized this morning. Let someone know and we can do